new on Curiosity Street. Louis B. Mayer, Jack Warner, William Fox. Hollywood was the city of dreams, but the beginnings were a nightmare. You will never work in this town again! It's Titans, the rise of Hollywood. And Merapi, one of the world's most active volcanoes. Can we better predict its next deadly eruption? A new expedition hunts for life-saving answers on exploring the volcano. Watch now on Curiosity Stream. Annual plans are $20, just $1.67 a month. Visit CuriosityStream.com. show on civil rights. My name is Barbara Bullen and I'm one of the radio hosts for the New Heights show on education and the New Heights educational group. I hope you enjoy the show and I'm asking our listeners to consider becoming a sponsor. This show is pre-recorded. This show is the second based on the trial of Susan B. Anthony, woman's suffrage, woman's rights and abolitionist. The information is taken from law.resource.org backslash pub backslash us backslash case backslash reporter backslash f dot cas backslash zero zero two four point f point cas backslash zero zero two four point f point cas point zero eight two nine dot pdf. The legislature of the state of New York has seen fit to say that the franchise of voting shall be limited to the male sex. In saying this, there is, in my judgment, no violation of the letter or of the spirit of the 14th or of the 15th Amendment. This view is assumed in the second section of the 14th Amendment, which enacts that if the right to vote for federal officers is denied by any state to any of the male inhabitants of such state except for crime the basis of representation of such state shall be reduced in a proportion specified not only does this section assume that the right of male inhabitants to vote was a, was the special object of its protection but it assumes and admits the right of a state notwithstanding the existence of that clause under which the defendant claims to the contrary to deny to classes or portions of the male inhabitants the right to vote which is allowed to other male inhabitants the regulation of the suffrage is thereby conceded to the state as a state's right the case of bradwell versus state 16 wall 83 u dot s dot 130 decided at the recent term of the Supreme Court, sustains both of the positions above put forth, viz. First, that the rights referred to in the 14th Amendment are those belonging to a person as a citizen of the United States and not as a citizen of a state. And second, 
that a right of the character here involved is not one connected with citizenship of the United States. Mrs. Bradwell made application to be admitted to practice as an attorney and counselor at law in the courts of Illinois. Her application was denied, and upon a writ of error, it was held by the Supreme Court that, to give jurisdiction under the 14th Amendment, the claim must be of a right pertaining to citizenship of the United States, and that the claim made by her did not come within that class of cases Justice Bradley, Swain, and Fell Field held that a woman was not entitled to a license to practice law. It does not appear that the other judges passed upon that question. The 14th Amendment gives no right to a woman to vote, and the voting by Miss Anthony was in a violation of law. If she believed she had a right to vote and voted in reliance upon that belief, does that relieve her from the penalty? It is argued that the knowledge referred to in the Act relates to her knowledge of the illegality of the Act and not to the Act of Voting, for it is said that she must know that she voted. Two principles apply here. First, ignorance of the law excuses no one. Second, every person is presumed to understand and to intend the necessary effects of his own acts. Miss Anthony knew that she was a woman and that the constitution of this state prohibits her from voting. She intended to violate that provision, intended to test it, perhaps, but certainly intended to violate it. The necessary effect of her act was to violate it, and this she presumed to have intended. There was no ignorance of any fact, but all the facts being known, she undertook to settle a principle in her own person. She takes the risk, and she cannot escape the consequences. It is said, and authorities are cited to sustain the position, that there can be no crime unless there is a culpable intent and that to render one criminally responsible a vicious will must be present a commits a trespass on the land of b and b thinking and believing that he has a right to shoot an intruder upon his premises kills a on the spot does b's misapprehension of his rights justify his act would a judge be justified in charging the jury that if satisfied that b supposed he had a right to shoot a he was justified and that should and they should find a verdict of not guilty? No judge would make such a charge. To constitute a crime, it is true that there must be a criminal intent, but it is equally true that knowledge of the facts of the case is always held to supply this intent. An intentional killing bears with it evidence of malice in law and the desire to promote the welfare of the deceased by his translation to a better world would be no justification of the act were it committed by a sane man. 2. Whoever without justifiable cause intentionally kills his neighbour is guilty of a crime. The principle is the same in the case before us and in all criminal cases. The precise question now before me has been several times decided, viz. that one illegally voted was bound and was assumed to know the law and that a belief that he had a right to vote gave no defence if there was no mistake of fact. Hamilton versus People 57 Barb, 625 State v. Boyett, 10 Ired, 336 State v. Hart, 6 Jones, 380 McGuire v. State, 7 Humph, 54 State v. Sheely, 15 Iowa, 404
No system of criminal jurisprudence can be sustained upon any other principle. Assuming that Miss Anthony believed she had a right to vote, that fact constitutes no defense, if in truth she had not the right. She voluntarily gave a vote which was illegal, and this is subject to the penalty of the law. Upon the foregoing ruling, the counsel for the defendant requested the court to submit the case to the jury on the question of intent, and with the following instructions. 1. If the defendant at the time of voting believed that she had a right to vote and voted in good faith in that belief, she is not guilty of the offence charged. 2. In determining the question whether the defendant did or did not believe that she had a right to vote, the jury may take into consideration as bearing upon that question the advice which she received from the counsel to whom she applied, and also the fact that the inspectors of the election considered the question and came to the conclusion that she had a right to vote. 3. The jury have a right to find a general verdict of guilty or not guilty as they shall believe that the defendant has or has not committed the offence described in the statute. The court declined to submit the case to the jury on any question and directed the jury to find a verdict of guilty. A request by the defendant's counsel that the jury be polled was denied by the court and a verdict of guilty was recorded. On a subsequent day, a motion for a new trial was made on the part of the defendant before Hunt, Circuit Justice Hunt. Circuit Justice, in denying the motion, said in substance, The whole law of the case has been re-argued, and I have given the best consideration in my power to the arguments presented. But for the evident earnestness of the learned counsel for the defendant, for whose ability and integrity I have the highest respect, I should have no hesitation. Still, I can entertain no doubt upon any point in the case. I do not doubt the correctness of my decision that the defendant had no right to vote, and that her belief that she had a right to vote, she knowing all the facts and being presumed and bound to know the law, did not relieve her from the penalty for voting, when in truth she had no right to vote. The learned counsel insists, however, that an error was committed in directing the jury to render a verdict of guilty. This direction, he argues, makes the verdict that of the court and not of the jury, and it is contended that the provisions of the Constitution looking to and securing a trial by jury in criminal cases have been violated. Right now, you might be struggling through your classes or even failing them. You might be worried that you may not finish high school. There might have even been a thought that you may not be smart enough. Well, the New Heights Educational Group begs to differ. We not only think you are smart enough, but with our help, you will complete your high school diploma. The New Heights Educational Group strives to improve your academic success through its tutoring services. To learn more, please visit newheightseducation.org and contact us. New Heights Educational Group educational resources to help reach your goals hello listeners if you're enjoying the new Heights show on education and want to support or donate to our organization please visit www.newheightseducation.org and while you're there check out our online store Welcome back to the New Heights Show in Education. My name is Barbara Bullen, 
and I'm the radio host for this show. This show is pre-recorded and focuses on the history of civil rights. A recap of the first segment of the show on the trial of Susan B. Anthony will continue. The right of trial by jury in civil as well as in criminal cases is a constitutional right. The second section of the first article of the Constitution of the State of New York provides that the trial by jury in all cases in which it has been heretofore used shall remain inviolate forever. Articles 6 and 7 of the amendments to the Constitution of the United States contains a similar provision. Yet, in cases where the facts are all conceded or where they are proved and uncontradicted by the evidence, it has always been the practice of the courts to take the case from the jury and decide it as a question of law. No counsel has ever disputed the right of the court to do so. No respectable counsel will venture to doubt the correctness of such practice, and this in cases of the character which are usually submitted to a jury. People v. Cook, 4 SELD.8, New York, 67, Godin v. Bank of Commonwealth, 6, DUER, 76. The right of a trial by jury in a criminal case is no more distinctly secured than it is in a civil case. In each class of cases, this right exists only in respect of a disputed fact. To questions of fact, the jury respond. Upon questions of law, the decision of the court is conclusive, and the jury are bound to receive the law as declared by the court. People v. Bennett, 49, New York, 137,141. Such is an established practice in criminal as well as in civil cases, and this practice is recognized by the highest authorities. It has been so held by the former Supreme Court of this state and by the present Court of Appeals of this state. At a circuit court of the United States held by Judges Woodruff and Blanchford, upon deliberation and consultation, it was decided that, in a criminal case, the court was not bound to submit the case to the jury thereby there being no sufficient evidence to justify a conviction and the court accordingly instructed the jury to find a verdict of not guilty u.s versus fullerton case number one five comma one seven six the district attorney now states that on several occasions since he has been in office judge hall being of opinion that the evidence did not warrant a conviction has directed the jury to find a verdict of not guilty. In the case of People v. Bennett, 49, New York, 137,141, the Court of Appeals of the State of New York, through its Chief Justice, uses the following language. Contrary to an opinion formerly prevailing, it has been settled that the juries are not judges of the law as well as the facts in criminal cases but that they must take the law from the court. All questions of law during the trial are to be determined by the court, and it is the duty of the jury to regard and abide by such determination. I can see no reason, therefore, why the court may not, in a case presenting a question of law only, instruct the jury to acquit the prisoner or to direct an acquittal and enforce the direction, nor why it is not the duty of the court to do so. This results from the rule that the jury must take the law as a judge by the court 
and I think it is a necessary result. In this case, the question in each instance was whether the court had power to direct a verdict of not guilty to be rendered, but the counsel for defendant expressly admits that the authority which justifies a direction to acquit will, in a proper case, justify a direction to convict, that it is a question of power and that if the power may be exercised in favour of the defendant, it may be exercised against him. As I now state this proposition, the counsel again signifies his assent. The reason given by Chief Justice Church in the case just cited shows that there is no distinction between the cases in this respect. He says the rule results from the principle that the jury must take the law from the court. The duty of the jury to take the law from the court is the same, whether it is favorable to the defendant or unfavorable to him. It is laid down in Colby, comma, CR dot law, comma, C dot 12, paragraph 125, comma, that no jury shall in any case be compelled to give a general verdict so that they find the facts and require the court to give judgment thereon. 2. Rev. St. C. 421, paragraph 68. A special verdict is given when the jury finds certain facts to exist and leave the court to determine whether, according to law, the prisoner is guilty. It is not necessary that the jury should, after stating the facts, draw any legal conclusion. If they do so, the court will reject the conclusion as superfluous and pronounce a judgment as they think warranted by the facts. Colby, comma, CR dot law, comma, C dot 12, paragraph 125. All the authorities tend to the same result. It is the duty of the jury to act upon the facts. It is the duty of the court to decide the law, the facts being specifically found by the jury. It is the duty of the court and not of the jury to pronounce a judgment of guilty or not guilty, the facts being fully conceded. It is the duty of the court to announce and direct what the verdict shall be, whether guilty or not guilty. Therefore, I cannot doubt the power and the duty of the court to direct a verdict of guilty where never the facts constituting guilt are undisputed. In the present case, the court had decided as a matter of law that Miss Anthony was not a legal voter. It had also decided as a matter of law that knowing every fact in the case and intending to do just what she did, she had knowingly voted, not having a right to not having a right to vote, and that her belief did not affect the question. Every fact in the case was undisputed. There was no inference to be drawn or point made on the facts that could by possibility after the result. It was, therefore, not only the right, but it seems to be upon the authorities the plain duty of the judge to direct a verdict of guilty. The motion for a new trial is denied. The defendant was thereupon sentenced to pay a fine of $100 and the costs of the prosecution, reported by Honorable Samuel Blatchford, District Judge, and here reprinted by permission, 17int.rev.rec.197,3 chi.leg.news, comma four six two, comma thirty leg dot int dot two sixty six and twenty pittsb dot leg dot j dot one ninety nine contains only partial reports two 
from 17int.rev.rec197. The volume of American law was transcribed by, for use on the internet through a contribution from Google. This comes to the conclusion of the show. Thank you for listening. You can reach me by email barbarab at newheightseducation.org. Be sure to join me every Sunday at radio.newheightseducation.org 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time as I discuss the history of civil rights. Also join Pamela Clark's pre-recorded shows which airs Wednesday by 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Civil rights is our right. Have a great week. We hope you enjoyed today's show. Don't forget to rate us and follow us on your podcast player. Check out our show page, radio.newheightseducation.org, for monthly announcements and other happenings. One Day University. We feature hundreds of top-rated professors from Stanford, Harvard, Michigan, Texas, UCLA, and other schools across the world to explore history, music, politics, art, science, and much more. Every Wednesday, our weekly scholar newsletter includes five fascinating short video clips of our most notable professors discussing a brand new topic, plus special reports and topical debates as well. Sign up for free at OneDayU.com. That's O-N-E-D-A-Y-U.com.